0: Hasn't the Lord been good to us this morning? Amen. Amen. What a wonderful God we have, don't we? He is at work in our lives. He's at work in the lives of others. He meets us in our messiness, in our brokenness. One of the things I like to say is that if it's not messy, it's not ministry. And so he calls us to get our hands dirty. He calls us to be in the trenches. And um, And he blesses us for it. Amen. Amen. let's turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter twenty one having come to the end of the first major section of Matthew. I wanted to take just a couple of weeks just to kind of talk about a couple of other things this morning. And I felt this passage was we're not going to take too long at it this morning. Famous last words, but uh, we um, but I did want to ask the question, how do you live right in a world gone wrong? How to live right in a world gone wrong? And really, that's, that's really the, the question of the hour, is it not? Our, our world is a mess. We see it overseas. We see it in the lives of the people around us. We see it in our own hearts, We see it in the convictions that get slighted. We see it in the little compromises we make that add up into huge compromises in our lives and we never even saw them coming. We we see it everywhere. Uh, This is a world that has truly gone wrong. And the question is, how do we live right in that kind of world? Just to give you an example, I, Roxanne saw this article the other day and she told me, are you guys familiar with the Kohl's department store? Okay, I didn't know if you guys had those in Arkansas or not, but um, if, uh, if you're familiar with that, there was an article this week that Kohl's decided that they are no longer going to be a department store. Now, I've been in a Kohl's before and, and I, they have departments and they sell different things and all, but they just decided on a whim, we are no longer a department store. And when Roxanne showed me this article, she said, uh, can they just kind of decide that they're just not a department store anymore? And I said, well, it is 21st century America. I guess you can decide whatever you want to be. So, you know, we see this... this this world that is just, you know, we've been watching these erosion of our values for a while and that has been noted and we've been watching this, but today we are seeing attacks on biblical values, probably unlike we have seen in my lifetime. Uh, Now, we know in times past they have happened and we know that Really, the American experiment and religious freedom is really a parenthesis in biblical history. The fact is, the church has never experienced such freedom and such uh, and such peace as we have in America in the last two hundred years. Uh, but I think, but we're, what we're seeing today is values of, of biblical values that are that are being attacked at a at a proportion at a level that we've never seen, and and in ways that quite frankly just defy common sense. Just absolutely defy common sense. And I know for many of you, you've been alive for a very long time. We have a brother here this morning uh, who was in World War II. He has been on this earth for a very long time. And I dare say that looking at the world today, I dare say that it's hard to recognize that it's the same country that he lived in back then. And many of you who have lived for many years, even even 20 years or so, are looking at the things going on in the schools, are looking at different things. And this is a, a world, this is a culture that you don't recognize, but it is a culture that our children are dealing with every single day of their lives, And so my purpose this morning just very briefly is to ask you the question and and ask you to commit to uh, how do we live in a way that glorifies God in a culture that is determined for you to do the opposite? How can we live in a manner that truly glorifies God? And I want to set the context of Jeremiah just to kind of show you what's going on here. Jeremiah had a very popular message in Israel. His message to them was essentially this. Babylon is coming. There is nothing you can do about it. And if you want to survive, if you want to have a chance of survival, you need to surrender. Now, you can imagine that went over very well. Very well. I was actually talking about this in my last church, and they were a football town. And I said, just to give an example of how well that went over, uh, you know, we were playing our big rival that weekend. And I said, The Lord has already said that we are going to lose this weekend. And if you want to have a shot of sitting on the winning bleachers, then you better sit on the opposing team side. And they nearly kidnapped me and sent me to Egypt. And that they did not hear a single part of the sermon after that. And I learned a very important lesson that day. Be careful of bringing biblical messages like they did because you might get the response that the prophets got. And so, uh, but that is true. That That is the basic message. And so as a result, looking at this now, this they are in Babylon, they're living in this place that they don't recognize, they're hearing a language that they don't know, they're in a culture that they don't understand, and they are now in a world that they do not recognize much like many of us feel today. And so Jeremiah, in chapter 29, he writes a series of letters to the people who are already exiled in Babylon, and he is telling them, this is how you are to glorify God in a godless culture that you do not recognize. This is how you are to live. His advice is radically different than what we hear most people say today. You know, you kind of have a flight or fight response, don't you, to culture. You, like we said a second ago, you know, you get so busy fighting the cause that you forget to minister to those caught in the sin. And so some people say, we gotta fight the culture and we gotta use the, war, the, the weapons of the, war, of the world to do it. And other people say, we have to escape the culture and we have to completely separate. And Jeremiah's message is neither one of those. The question is, how do we live in a culture that glorifies God in an ungodly culture? How do we do that? It's revolutionary. And so he says, and I'm not gonna just, we're just gonna read the text as we go through it this morning, but beginning in verse four, thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, I have sent unto exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And watch what he says in verse five. What do you do while living in Babylon? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What does he say? How do we live to glorify God in a culture? Number one, we build our homes. We build our homes. Settle down. He says here in verse five, settle down, accept that where you are right now is where God has planted you. My mentor growing up, my first mentor, he had something that he used to say to me all the time. He could, he could sense that restlessness that I had as a young man in me that I, I could just never be satisfied in one place for very long. I was, I was like that in my youth and, and, uh, and he sensed that very early on in my Christian life. And so he would always say to me, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Understand that where you are right now is where God has called you right now. And so build houses, plant gardens, and eat of their produce. Live your life. Live your life. In fact, you may notice that term build houses and plant, those two words build and plant. Does that sound familiar? We saw that in our scripture reading, did we not? In the same way that God called Jeremiah in his call to prophecy, build and plant, he is telling the Israelites in Babylon that they also are to build and plant. It's the same call, it's expressed in different ways, but it's the same call. Build your houses and then also build your families. He says here in verse six, don't decrease. Take wives, bear sons and daughters. Take, da- take wives for your sons and give your daughters away in marriage. In other words, do not forsake the first institution that God created on earth, which is the family. And notice what he says, don't decrease. There is no sense here of, of Israelites saying, well, I just can't bring a child into this world. There's no sense of that here. If anyone should have said it, it should have been Israel in exile in Babylon, but they didn't say that. He says, no, build your families. And implicit in that is teaching your children in raising them in the admonition of the Lord. You know, one of the things that all the scholars, no matter what disagreements they have about the exile itself and how they came back, one thing that all the scholars agree on is that when Israel came back into the promised land some 70 years later, they never had a problem with idolatry again, at least not in the traditional sense. The people taught their children. The people taught them. And because they were in exile, that teaching was far More effective. And so build your families. Build your families. Number two, and this is revolutionary. Verse seven, do good for the city. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where you are. In other words, seek to do good for no other reason then it is good. This is really incumbent. This kind of merges into what is called the doctrine of vocation. Uh, the reformers uh, really emphasize this. You see, uh, but prior to the Reformation, the idea was that you had two classes of people. You had, you had the clergy and you had the laity, and the clergy were there to worship and serve God, and the laity was there to support them so that they could do that. And what the reformer said, Martin Luther specifically, he said this. He said that the milkmaid is just as holy as the priest. In other words, God has ordained work because work is good. Work is good. No matter what the job is, work is good. Work in and of itself is good. And so many times people would ask, how do we become a Christian? How do we have a Christian witness at work? And for a lot of people, they think that means that I take my Bible to my job and I open it up and I I read my Bible on the boss's time. It could, I mean, maybe not on the boss's time part, but take your Bible to work, sure. But you know how you can be the best witness and glorify God the most in your job? Be the best employee they've got. That's how you can do it. In other words, all work is sanctified. All work is holy, you know, within I mean I'm not talking about certain professions, but but all work, work in and of itself is holy. Work is not a part of the fall. But it is sanctified by God. And you don't have to be up here preaching, you don't have to be up here singing in order to serve God in your daily life. You can serve him and you can honor him and you can glorify him right where you are. And your working does good for the community. Your working does good for the, for the welfare of the city be someone who contributes. You remember, you remember what uh, Paul said? Paul was, uh, he was ministering to the Thessalonians and he talked about the coming of Christ and they got a little, they got a little uh, radical about it and they started quitting their jobs. And, and basically they were sitting on lawn chairs on top of their house and just kind of looking up at the sky all day long, waiting for Christ to come back. And Paul writes second Thessalonians to say, hey, stop it right? And what does he say in 2 Thessalonians? You remember this? What does he say? He says, if a man does not work, what? He doesn't eat. Now, please, beloved, don't read that verse by itself, okay? Fill it in with the other revelation of Scripture. Yes, we need compassion. We need mercy. And yet, there is a principle that work is good and work should be encouraged and valued, not the other way around. Beloved, everywhere the Reformation went prosperity, education, arts, medicine, uh, science, all of that followed. And people say that, you know, capitalism built America. Well, yes, in a sense it did, but beloved, capitalism did not build America. The Protestant work ethic built America. And what we're seeing now is the erosion of that work ethic. And so seek the welfare of the city and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for your captors, is essentially what Paul is saying. Because in their, and there's a practical reason for this, because in their welfare, you will find your welfare. You know what I believe some of the greatest attacks Satan has committed on the church is? Well, number one, he deemphasized grammar in schools so people don't know how to read their Bible anymore, Right? And he's also in the business of defunding the arts. And as a result, fewer and fewer people can play instruments, fewer and fewer people understand music, fewer and fewer people. The greatest attack that Satan has launched on the worship of the church is taking funding from the fine arts program at the school. And so seek to do good. All of these things are connected, amen? Melissa, don't you think that's right? Huh? I'm speaking your love language, aren't I? So, <laughs> seek to do good. Seek to do good. Number three. I told you I'd be quick. Number three. Practice discernment. Practice discernment. Look. Uh, look what he says here. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name I did not send them declares Yahweh. Beloved, you can get on the internet today and you can find a blog or a teacher or whatever you want that will teach you anything you want and they will put some kind of Bible verse on it to sanctify it. What do I say all the time? You can put John 3.16 on what? Yeah, you can put John 3.16 on a bottle of whiskey. That doesn't make it Christian whiskey, right? And you can't take a Bible verse, you cannot take a Bible principle and use it to sanctify sin. You can't do that. And so, and so what the prophets were doing here specifically is they were saying, oh, you don't need to settle down. Don't even bother building houses. Don't even bother planting gardens because the Lord has said to me, well, we hear that on TV today, don't we? The Lord has said to me that we're only gonna be here Two years. By the way, one prophet on TBN in 2021, he prophesied at the very beginning that 2021 was gonna be the year of God's global glory. And he gave all these different prophecies of all the things that were gonna happen in 2021. Guess what did not happen? It's almost like God intentionally, whatever they say, he does the exact opposite, you know? Say, why don't people listen to these people anyway? So practice discernment, understand the word and and learn to recognize true biblical teaching. Jeremiah tells them, you are going to be there for 70 years. And where does he get this? He's not pulling this out of a hat. He's actually going back to the law, and and he's figuring out, he understands that for every year that they did not give the land Sabbath rest, they are going to spend one year in captivity, and that came up to 70 years. And Jeremiah says, this is the covenant curse. God has told you this is going to happen, and for 70 years, you are going to be here. And these other prophets are saying, well, if you don't find what I'm saying in the Bible, don't worry about it, because I got it from the highest authority? I got it from God. And Jeremiah says, no, you didn't. Build houses, seek the welfare of the city, for in the city's welfare, you will find your own and practice discernment. Don't listen to the prognosticating liars. And so many teachers today Aren't you just tired of being lied to? Aren't you tired of that? And so practice discernment. And, and beloved, practice discernment with me. I'm not immune to mistakes in this pulpit, okay? I'm not. Um, I know there are places where my theology is wrong. And if I knew where they were, I would fix them, okay? <laughs> and so listen. I'm not the final word, this is. And no human voice is the final word. The only authority I have is to the extent that I am in agreement with this word. That is true for creeds, that is true for confessions, that is true for preaching, that is true for Christian books, that is true for television, that is true for everything. Practice discernment. There is a shocking lack of discernment in the Christian church today. Beloved, there are books that are being sold by the millions that they should not even fall off of a Christian bookshelf. I mean, about the only purpose they serve to your spiritual life is to be a good coaster for your coffee. And yet they're selling by the millions. Don't fall for this. Don't fall for this. And then finally, practice discernment. But the flip side of practicing discernment is to set your hope in the promises of Jesus Christ. That's right, beloved, our hope is not in this world. We are the church militant. We are not the church triumphant. We are in the wilderness. We are not in the promised land. Not yet, but we're going. He says here in verse 10, for thus says Yahweh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. And watch this, verse 11, this is a famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares Yahweh. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the place where I have driven you, declares Yahweh. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. Into exile, you know this verse, verse eleven. Eh, for a lot of people, it is their life verse, and and there tends to be kind of two ways that preachers tell you uh, to work with it. You know, one of them is kind of what I call the Christian day calendar way, where you know you just kind of read it, and it's not in the context, and and it's your uh, and I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to make you successful, and and the problem is is that you interpret that verse according to your ideas of prosperity and success right? Don't do that. But then there's another way that preachers, you know, and I think really to avoid that extreme, they go the other way. And they say that this verse doesn't really apply to Christians at all. This is a promise to Israel and Babylon. And then when he brought them out of Babylon, he fulfilled that verse. And this really has nothing to say to Christians today. And my question to that is, then why is it in there? Why is it in there? Beloved, Christ has made wonderful promises to us. And our hope is in the promises of Jesus Christ, not in this world. And one of the greatest causes of frustration is that Christians do not understand often this, this uh, already not yet tension that is in the Bible, right? and that we are already saved, we are already experiencing grace, we are already complete in Christ, we are already uh, perfected in his standing and in his positional uh, sanctification that he's given us, but yet also we are not yet in the sense that we still struggle with sin, we still live in a fallen world, we still struggle with disease, we still struggle with sickness, all of these things are gonna go away, but not yet. That is why, beloved, there will never be a perfect president. That is why, beloved, you will never have a perfect husband. Ladies, say amen. Amen. (laughs) Men, that is why you will never have a perfect wife. That was a little louder. (laughs) That's why you'll never have perfect children. Children, that's why you'll never have perfect parents. <laughs> you who are without sin, cast the first stones. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's why you'll never have a perfect church. That's why you'll never have, you won't have perfection in this world. One of the lies that the social sciences has taught us is that suffering is abnormal. Beloved, in a fallen world, suffering is normal, okay? The promise is that we will be delivered from it. Already, not yet, know this tension well. And trust in the promises of the Lord Not in the promises of the politicians. Not in the promises of all the other things. You know, when I was young, fairy tales began with the words, once upon a time. Today, they begin with, if elected, I promise. (laughs) But put your hope in the promises of God. Because he does have plans for you. Plans to prosper you plans to do good for you, plans to draw you out from wherever you are, wherever sin has exiled you, And wherever the consequences of sin have taken you, God has a plan to draw you out from that exile and to bring you unto himself so that where he is, there you may be also. And we experience that in a limited way in our current salvation, but we will experience it in full one day whenever the promises of our salvation come to full consummation. And that is when our hope will be realized. So how do we live in a world that's gone wrong? Build your homes. Seek seek to do good in the city. Practice discernment. And set your hope in Jesus Christ and in the promises that he will fulfill for you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know those promises, you don't know Christ as your savior, I would love to talk to you. There's others who are here who would love to talk to you. Maybe you're here, you need to pray because you've had a, a fighting mentality, you've had an escapist mentality. You've come to understand that the Lord has not called you to either one but he's called you to serve him. And yes, that doesn't mean that we don't take a stand against ungodly culture, don't get me wrong. The church needs to be vocal because that's one of the ways we do good. But we also do good when we have mercy on those who have fallen. And if you're here this morning and you've fallen, we wanna show you God's mercy. We want you to see God's love through us. Would you come? Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this wonderful lady and this wonderful ministry that she's doing. Father, you have been so good to us. There are some of us here who have been redeemed out of lives that are full of mistakes, full of living in the trenches of society. There are others Lord here, who were served at who were saved at young ages and and by your grace, they have never had to experience those things and and Lord, we praise you for that too, because all of it is by your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you will make Calvary Baptist a hospital for sinners. And may we seek to do good for no other reason and because it's good, Lord, may we be may we spend and be spent so that you may be glorified on this earth. May we worship you in our work. May we glorify you in everything we do. And in doing that, may lost sinners come to know you through our witness, through our authentic witness. I'm just gonna ask you to stand. If you're here this morning, you feel like you want to come forward, you're certainly Welcome to, just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a moment and just kind of reflect on the things that you've heard this morning and ask yourself the question, what, what can I, what changes can I make this week? My attitudes, my, the things I do, whatever it is. As our musicians play, would you just reflect for a few minutes? And if you're here and you need Christ as your savior, I beg you, I plead for you to come. If you're in trouble because of sin, I beg of you to come. You will find no judgment here. You will only find that God's grace is sufficient for you.